0: Good morning, everyone. I'm glad to be with you today. If you have a Bible, and there's some in front of you, if you'll turn to the first page of the Bible, Genesis chapter 1, we're going to read there. And as you're turning in your Bibles, let me just say, it's been a great pleasure to be with you this weekend. Thank you for so many of you who came out practically every time I was here, and it's been a lot of times. But I'm grateful to you, and it's always a great pleasure to be here. As I told the first service today, I said, you know, the first time you go to a church is sort of the luck of the draw. Second time, they may be making a mistake, but the fifth or sixth time, I guess it was intentional. So thank you. I'm glad to be with you today. We're going to read from Genesis chapter 1, beginning in verse 26. Hear now the word of God himself. Then God said, And fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. May God add his rich blessing to the reading of his word. Let's pray together. Our Lord Jesus, we turn to you after reading a passage like this because we know these words were written down thousands of years ago and spoken countless years before that. And we wonder, sitting here in this place today, what would you have us learn from them for ourselves now? And so we turn to you because we call no one our teacher but you. We hope in no one like we hope in you. We trust no one like we trust you. And we're praying now that you will send Holy Spirit to us that he may fill each heart in this room so that our eyes may see anew and our ears hear afresh this word from you. And as you do, we will praise you for it. Amen. My father worked on the railroad and I remember one summer, I was about 10 years old, I think it was, they were on strike whole summer. So it was a convenient time to do something that he had wanted to do for years and my mother had wanted him to do for years and that was to add a room to our house. My dad and I spent the entire summer working on this room. I learned a lot about carpentry and a lot about building things at that point. It was, um, it was an arduous summer for me, but I can remember my mother, every morning, leaving the house, getting ready to go to work, and all she would ever say about it as she left was, all I care is, this room doesn't look like it was added to the house. So we worked very hard to make it not look like it was added to the house. And every evening when she'd come home, of course, we'd want to show off all the things we had done and everything. And, but she would just walk through and just sort of wave us off and say, I don't care, I don't care. All I care about is it doesn't look like it was added to the house. So we made sure that the floors were lined up perfectly, that the windows matched, the brickwork interlaced just right, that the pitch of the roof was just, I mean, it was unbelievable, unbelievable how hard we worked on this. But I can guarantee you, if you saw my parents' house, it would take you about two seconds before you'd say, that room was added to the house. (laughs) Because unless you're a master architect or a master builder, you add a room to a house, it looks like it was added to the house. I want to talk to you this morning about something that most of us add to our houses, the houses of our lives. It's something that we attach to our lives if we ever get around to it. It's not a part of the original floor plan of most of our lives. Instead, it's something that once you get things settled in your life, you might actually begin to make a part of your life. But what God wants you to do is to see that this thing that you might be adding to your life is actually a part of the original floor plan for what it means to be a follower of Jesus, but even more basic than that, what it means to be a human being. Now, as I look around this room today, I think all of you are human beings. Some of you are followers of Jesus, and some of you probably are not. But this message, this part of the Bible, is for everybody who's a living, breathing human being. Because it describes the original floor plan of what that means. The floor plan that was set up by the one who made all things. The first thing I'm hoping we're going to do is to notice what God calls you and me in this passage. And if you've been around Christianity at all, you've heard these terminologies. So let me just read it to you, what God actually called us, beginning in verse 27. So God created man in his own image, in the image of God he created him, male and female he created him. If you have known the Christian faith or been around Christian people, you know that we call people all kinds of things. Sometimes they're not such good words, but sometimes they're appropriate words. They're sinners, or we say they're saved, or we say they're redeemed, whatever it may be. But one thing that the Christian faith says about people is that people are the image and the likeness of God. Now, that's a tall order to be the image and likeness of the one who made everything that exists. And so sometimes we know that's a good thing, but don't quite know how to put our finger on what that means. And so what I want us to do is to think about what it meant when God first said it and what it meant when it was first written in the Bible. And to do that, we have to get into a time machine. So get in the time machine with me. Got to go back thousands of years in time, all the way back to the days of pyramids and ziggurats and Egyptians and pharaohs, you know, back to those days of Charlton Heston and Yul Brynner, those guys, okay? You way back there now with me? Because back in those days, thousands of years ago, Israel, the people to whom the Bible belonged, they were not the only people who used the expression image of God or likeness of God to talk about people. They called people the image of God, the likeness of the gods, the son of the gods. They would use all these things as synonyms, but in Egypt, in Babylon, in Assyria, in Canaan, all through the ancient Near East, they would use this terminology, but they used it to refer to only one person. Only one person in all society. And you know who that person was. It was Yul Brynner. It was the Pharaoh. It was the emperor. It was the king. Only the king was the image and the likeness of God. And everybody else was something a little less than that, depending on where you ranked in society. Only the king. And the reason for this was because in those days, in those cultures, they believed that kings had a very special role in human society. It's the kind of role that even modern politicians often wish they had, but in those days they actually believed that they had it. And it was this, that the king was special in the eyes of heaven and that the king was so special that he was to learn the will of what the gods in heaven wanted and then use his power to make it happen down here on the earth. To make heaven's will fleshed out. On the earth. And so it was very important to be the image of God because that meant you got to decide what the cities looked like, what the laws were, all kinds of things because you were doing it like the gods in heaven wanted it to be. And when you know that that's the way people in those days thought, that only the king had that kind of role in society, you can see just how radical Moses is as he writes these words to the Israelites. Because as he writes these words, he makes it plain that the truth of the matter is, it's not just the king who's the image of God, it's every single human being. Every single one of us has the dignity, the value, the importance, the job that they all thought only belonged to the king. And that was to learn the will of God in heaven and to make it happen on the earth. And Moses is saying to them, they lied to you. And you can imagine, can't you, just how difficult it was for them to believe this. I mean, after all, they had been, for hundreds of years now, slaves in Egypt. And one of the ways you keep people in slavery is by convincing them that you are better than they are, that they're something less than you are. And now Moses is telling these former slaves, it was all a lie. You're all the image and the likeness of God. It must have baffled them to know what in the world that might mean. And I think you can understand how difficult it was for them because it's difficult for you and me. It's difficult for us even today to believe the implications of what it means to be the image and the likeness of God. I mean, think about it this way. I know we're in a political season and it's very dangerous to say anything about politics, especially nowadays, but I'm gonna say something that everybody in this room ought to agree with. Are you ready for that? Can you believe you could do that? You could actually say something in public about politics right now that everyone would agree on? Well, here it comes. you ready? President Barack Hussein Obama is a very important man. Well, of course we know that's true. Of course. Everyone knows that's true because when he decides we're going this way, It affects the whole course of human history. And if he decides we're going that way, it's going to affect the whole course of human history in that direction. We know he is an important man. And so, for that reason, we really don't want him to have the flu. He might make a bad decision. We don't want him to have a sinus headache. Can you imagine the kind of decisions you'd make with a sinus headache as president of the United States? We don't even want him and the first lady to have a big argument tonight. I mean, you can imagine that, can't you? They have this big argument, and at the end of it, he says, Oh, yeah, you don't like that? Well, watch what happens when I hit this red button. And he pushes the button, and the world goes up in smoke. You don't want that to happen. Nope, because he's an important man. But now what about you? A lot of you have had the flu already. We don't care. Some of you sitting in this room have a sinus headache right this very minute. So what? And, you know, if you could find a red button to push at your house, it wouldn't do anything. So obviously, you're not important. Now, I'm sure in a room like this, we've got some people who think they're more important to the history of the world than they actually are. So if that's you, get with the program here, okay? You're not all that. But most of you in this room suffer from just the opposite problem, and that is thinking you don't have any important role in this world, that you are just a little speck of dust who will come and go, nobody will even notice. And if that's what you think of yourself, you are right where the evil one wants you to be. Because if that's what you think of yourself, you will waste your life away. What difference does it make if I stay with my spouse What difference does it make if I pay attention to my children? What difference does it make what job I do, whether I cheat or lie or do the right thing? What difference does my life make? If you don't think it makes a difference, then you are right where the evil one wants you to be. And we know that's not true. Because you all know the stories. You've heard the one about the grandmother who did nothing but raise her orphaned grandson to become a Christian. Who did nothing but become a shoe salesman. Who did nothing noteworthy except one time share his faith with a customer who became a believer. Who did nothing but go to his next door neighbor who shared his faith with him. And then he became a Christian who happened to be Billy Graham. Okay, now out of all those people, which one was important? Oh, Billy Graham, of course. No, not just Billy Graham. Of course not. We know that that grandmother who did nothing but raise her grandson to be a follower of Jesus is just as important as Billy Graham. We know that the shoe salesman was just as valuable in God's plan as Billy Graham. We know that the next-door neighbor was just as valuable, and that's you. That's me. That's who we are. We are the image and the likeness of God, not something to be yawned at, not something to be wasted, not a privilege to be disdained, not a privilege to be minimized. It is unbelievable that God would choose to make you his image and likeness with the value and the importance and the worth of the greatest kings that have ever walked on this planet. Just find your place in this world, and you'll see it. Okay, you know, I kind of like that. I kind of like that teaching in the Bible that says that in God's plan for the world, people are important. That we're not, like many people would say today, the virus that happened to land on this planet, ruining the planet. No, no, we're the image and likeness of God. I kind of like that. It actually makes me think sometimes that maybe all my efforts are worth it too. But sometimes, you know, you can get a title like that. Image of God sounds really nice. King's value. Okay. That sounds great, but sometimes the job itself that you'd get with a title like that may not be so good. Job titles and job descriptions are sometimes two very different things. I remember when I was 17, I was working in a music studio teaching guitar and I needed a full-time summer job. And so I asked the owner of this small studio if I could have a full time job. He said, Sure, that'd be great. And I said, Well, um, what will it be? What do you call the job? He said, Well, how about we call it this? How about we call it uh, assistant to the owner? Oh, yeah, that sounds good to me. 17 years old, I knew what that meant. That meant when he'd leave the shop, I would be the boss. So I'd put my feet up on his desk and boss people around like he did all day. That'd be really great. 17 sounds like a wonderful, wonderful job. But when summer came, I found out that being the assistant to the boss, being the assistant to the owner, didn't mean that I was going to get the boss people around. What it meant was I had to do everything that nobody else wanted to do. I was the one that cleaned the toilets. I was the one that washed the windows. I was the one that delivered grand pianos in the heat of summer up flights of stairs all by myself. You remember that Laurel and Hardy clip where they watched the piano go down those long steps? Remember that one? Um, I've done that. I've watched a grand piano that I was pushing upstairs go all the way down the hill. It was amazing. It was a great job title, but it wasn't such a great job. In fact, it was a horrible job, to tell you the truth. I would say that even now. And you might think that that's sort of a trick that God is playing on us by calling us something special and then giving us this job. But let me tell you something. This job that you have as the image of God is as spectacular as the title is. It's as unbelievable as the title itself. Listen to the way God puts it. And God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. You know something? Even if you knew that that verse was in the Bible, it's so unfamiliar and so foreign to you and me I may as well have said that in Russian. I mean, think about it this way. When you go to a party and you meet somebody new and they ask you, what do you do? When was the last time you said to them, well, I'm fruitful and multiply, how about you? (laughs) What do you do? Well, I have dominion over the earth, how's that going for you today? Is that the way you talk? Is that even the way you think about yourself? Of course not. So I may as well have said it in Arabic or Russian or Spanish, whatever, because we know it's in the Bible, but what in the world does that even mean? What's that got to do with me? What's that got to do with you? I mean, is there something real here, or is this just a bunch of religious talk? Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth subdue so do it and have dominion over it. Sometimes I think I'm the only person in the world who gets up in the morning and who asks in a very serious way, is it worth breathing again? I think most people get out of bed, at least this is what they tell me, they get out of the bed and they keep breathing because they're afraid of the alternative. Now, I, think, I don't know how to tell you this, but I'm not afraid of the alternative. Death doesn't scare me the least. And so when I get up in the morning, I really sometimes, thinking about how hard it's going to be to be the image of God, I actually have to ask the question, Why am I doing this again? Why am I breathing one more time? Well, the answer of the Bible is this. We are to multiply more images of God and fill the world up with them, and we're to have dominion over the earth. Let's unpack that just a little bit. Here's the picture that the Bible gives us of the creation as a whole. God made this place... So that it would be a place where he is acknowledged as the great supreme king over all. And the way he's going to do that is by one day filling this entire universe with his brilliant glory. So that every creature will have to bow down and acknowledge him as the Lord and creator of all. The way the Bible puts it is one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the father. That's the goal for all of this stuff that we see created around us. The vast reaches of the universe, that's the goal of it all. For God to be honored and worshipped endlessly by every creature in heaven above, on the earth, and beneath the earth. That's the goal of it all. Well, where do human beings fit into that? Well, when God first made us, he put us in a little garden, but he said to that Adam and that Eve, now here's what I want you to do. This garden's a nice place, right? Yeah, but you don't get to stay here. This is what you have to do. You have to turn the whole planet into paradise. Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth, subdue it, and have dominion over it. What God ordained for you and me to do is to prepare the way in this planet, prepare the way for the glory of God to shine in all his brilliance and for Jesus to be exalted as the king over all. That's why we're here. That's why we make more of us so they can spread out and work out the changing of the whole world into a place that's well-suited for the glory of the God of heaven and earth. That's how special you are. God could have done it like that, by his own power, but he chose not to do it himself, but to demonstrate his glory by doing it through tiny, little clay images like you and me. That's phenomenal. And how is it to be done? Basically it's two things. Human beings are told here that what I want is my image to fill up the whole planet. Just fill it up can't make the whole world into paradise without a lot of people being involved. And that's what God wanted Adam and Eve to do. And, of course, that meant have babies. But once sin came into the world, it meant more than just have babies. It meant let's make redeemed images of God, holy servants of God, because some people actually turn away from their creator and they become the enemies of God. But God says now to you and me, fill the world up with redeemed images of God. Fill the world up with redeemed images of God. You know, some of us decry the fact that the culture around us is corrupting and we wonder, why is it corrupting? Why is it corrupting? Well, one answer to that question is because there are fewer and fewer people who are redeemed images of God. And the numbers of those who are opposed to the ways of God are growing and growing in this part of the world. You want to do something about it? Then get busy making more redeemed images of God. And you know what that means? That means raising your children to be followers of Jesus. It means, be careful now, opening your life to your next-door neighbor. It means showing kindness to people in the name of Jesus. It means being willing to take a stand even in the workplace at great cost. Because what we need today is people who do love Christ, to be devoted to the task of making more and more images and likenesses of God in this world who have been redeemed from sin, not perfect, but redeemed, and are on the right track of service to God. And when we ignore that, we watch the world around us crumble. But then there's this other thing that God tells Adam and Eve to do. I want you to subdue the earth and have dominion over it. And basically what that is, is the Bible's explanation of where human civilization came from. It was commissioned by God. That human beings were to create holy civilization on this planet. Yeah, that means the roads, yeah, that means the electricity, yeah, that means the computers, everything that you can imagine that we've done in a holy and God-fearing and God-honoring way. That is what Adam and Eve were called to do in the very beginning. And it's what you are called to do. So you see, your religious life is not just here in this building. Your service to God is not just when you take a few moments to pray or read the Bible or talk to someone about Christ. Your life in Jesus is everything you do. Every piece of your life, every moment of your life at home, at work, recreationally, whatever it may be, it is to be devoted in service to God as his image because your job as the image of God is to learn the will of God and make it happen on this planet. So how are you doing at this? How's it going for you, this multiplying? And this having dominion over the earth. Preparing the way for the glory of God to fill the entire universe. How's that going for you? Well, you know, it didn't go so well for Adam and Eve, did it? We don't know how long it took, but pretty quickly they turned away from God and things got messed up. The nation of Israel... In the Old Testament, they were the special A-team of the human race, supposed to lead everybody in the direction of service to God. How did they do? Well, they did okay, but they really didn't do so well in the end. It all kind of fell to pieces. Jesus comes and builds his church. How's the church been doing? Well, we've, it's okay, actually, when you think about it, because our religion started in this tiny little place called Palestine, and... Now where is it? It's all over the world. So there are good things to celebrate in this, but now look at us again. And how are we doing? Well, not so well, actually. And you know what this did for people in ancient days? It made them long for someone to come. It made them long for a person to arrive and be born on this planet who would get it right. Someone who would multiply the earth and fill it up with redeemed images of God. Someone who would transform the planet into a new creation that would be so wondrous that it would be right for the God of heaven and earth to fill it with his glory. They longed for such a person for thousands of years, and we know his name. They looked for someone who could be their champion to lead the cause, to accomplish it when they could not, and we know his name. So we, in our failures and our hopelessness and our despair at times, we know the one who has actually served God so faithfully, so perfectly, so wondrously that he will one day fill this entire planet with the image of God and the glory of God will shine from one end to the other. And his name is Jesus. That's why we believe in him. That's what it means to trust Jesus. That what you cannot do, what I cannot do, what we cannot do on our own, even as a group, even large numbers of us, what we cannot do He has done. And we stand before God in him rather than ourselves. We no longer trust ourselves to accomplish this goal. We trust him to accomplish this goal. And when he died on the cross and then resurrected from the dead as his just reward, he looked at his disciples just before he was about to go into heaven, and he said this to them. You know these words. Many of you, you've heard them. He looked at them, and he said this. He said, now, guys, that's in the Greek, guys. Guys, I want you to understand something. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. Do you understand what that means? Jesus is saying, I'm all that. I was so holy. I was so good. I've accomplished the task so well that I have been given all authority in heaven above and on the earth. It's all at my feet and I am in command of it all. Now, That's pretty spectacular for someone to actually say, and for some of you it may be difficult to believe, but let me just encourage you, consider Jesus, consider who he was and what he did and what he's done in this world, and you may find yourself, even yourself, having faith in him like that. But what surprises me is that Jesus says, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, which basically means I'm gonna fix this place so that God's glory will shine throughout it all. And then he looks at his disciples and he says something very odd because if I had been Jesus, this is what I would have said. I would have said, now, everything's under my control. I got it all made, so you sit back, watch the show. It's going to be unbelievable. Watch what I do. You won't believe how great this is going to be. That's what I would have done. But you know that's not what he did. Because right after he said, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, he turned to his disciples and he said, go, therefore, and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and don't worry, I'll be with you right up to the end. Right up to the end. And this is basically what he's saying to them. I'm going to do it. I've accomplished enough for you to believe that. But now I'm going to give you the greatest honor you could possibly imagine. You get to participate with me in the transformation of the whole creation into the kingdom of God. What more could you want? What more could you want than to be a part of something that you know is going to win, rather than a part of something that you fear is going to fail? What more could you want than to be a participant in the transformation of the entire world into God's kingdom so that God may be honored and praised endlessly by every creature in heaven, on the earth, and beneath the earth? This thing being called the image of God, serving God, knowing that that's your purpose, that you've been called to this, is not something trivial— it's not something to be pushed to the side. It's the greatest honor you could possibly imagine. So don't make it an extra room on your house. Don't tag it on there that once you get around to thinking about what God wants you to do with your life, after you've done everything else, then maybe Jesus can fit in there. Don't wait on that. And you see, it's not an extra room. My mother was very disappointed in that room, by the way it did look like an extra room don't make the call of god in your life an extra room in your life realize that from the beginning this was the original floor plan for what it means to be a human being come to jesus participate with him in the transformation of creation into the kingdom of god let's pray together Our Lord Jesus, we bless you, we honor you, because people did wait for thousands of years for you, and we now know who you are. And we now call on your name and say we have no hope apart from you. We give ourselves to you. We devote ourselves to joining with you in this great calling. Holy Spirit, we cannot do this on our own. So our prayer to you is simple. Please, Holy Spirit. Make us like Jesus. Amen.